The rest of you should continue your Bibles to Revelation, Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. This morning. My daughter, Annalisa, is eight. And, uh, of course, being the youngest, she values things that are hers. Uh, my wife is uh, teaching third grade part-time for Ames Christian, and she got some handwriting tablets, some really simple, like just... You know, you can draw on them and then you can erase them, but they're digital now. It's like, okay, this is the new technology. We live in a technological world, right? I used to, you know, write it on, well, I wasn't quite on the slate era. I'm not old. Um, but, uh, but used to write things out and trace things out on paper. And, and uh, of course, she has one, uh, Annalisa has one. But then, of course, she starts to write things like, uh, do not write on this this is Annalise's tablets, you know what I mean? Like, this is hers. And, uh, of course, when she does that, like, everyone in the family is like, oh, fresh meat, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, here, here's a chance to, to poke her, like, a little bit, just like to say, hey, you know, this might be yours, but you're part of a bigger family here. And uh, so, in fact, this morning, she wrote on it, uh, do not write on this tablet. It is Annalise's tablet. And I wrote, but dad can. You know, just because I was, you know, just poking the bear a little bit. Then, then she erased it and she wrote, I will kill anyone who writes on this tablet. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's pretty good. It's, it's escalating it quite a bit there, you know. Uh, the, the challenge is, is that when we talk about our lives and, and what we have, we think in terms of what, what we possess, what's ours, and we want to keep what's ours. And Revelation chapter 4, the beginning of it says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice, which I heard speak to me like a trumpet, which would be a reference to Revelation 1, and Christ's voice, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. He's saying, I'm going to show you what's going to happen in the future. And, and if, if you're like me, in a sense, you're like, okay, then show me what's going to happen. You know, like, like, I want to know how my life is going to go. I want to know how, you know how the things that I'm concerned about, the things that I want to possess, how that is going to go for me, right? And if not that, at least let me know what's going to happen so that, uh, so that I can prepare, I can, I can adjust what I, my expectations are, right? I mean, that's, that's what we do when we think about the future. We think, okay, how do I adjust? What do I do? And Immediately, it says here, verse 2, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And we don't get a list of, okay, you know, on this date this is going to happen, or even simply, here's the things that are going to happen. <laughs> what we get at first is there's someone on a throne. And as I considered that and meditated on that this week, I considered the fact that in some ways it doesn't matter what's going to happen as long as you know who's in charge, right? And this vision that is in Romans, uh, Revelation 4 and Revelation 5, which is two parts, we're going to look at the first part this morning, is, is the fact that, here, get a few cents, here's the big idea in a sense, Turn this on, there we go. Our, our hope starts with God's good rule of the universe he created. Or to put it another way, God the creator reigns. 
Our hope is based not on knowing what's going to happen, but knowing who's in charge. And Revelation 4 gives us this vision of this God who is in charge. And we like to think sometimes, well, I mean, if you, if you look at the world and they consider like what's going on and where did the world come from, where is it going, you got a couple different versions. You got this story of, well, it kind of exploded into existence and we evolved to where we're at now and eventually the universe is going to die in a heat death at a certain point in time, who knows when, millions, billions of years later. And some people say, well, that's kind of a depressing outlook and so they think, well, you know, given enough time, anything can happen because, you know, anything can happen. And yet we don't, we don't live in, a, in an infinite universe. We live in a finite universe, even if it's huge, way bigger than we thought. In fact, uh, did, did you hear this summer, the, the JWST is the new, you know, mirror they have out there and it starts to see the universe and they discovered that potentially they thought the universe was 13.4 billion years old, and, and now they think it could be double that, which is a lot, you know, like, that's a, that's a big change. But not that big a change, honestly. Like, we're still talking billions of years from that standpoint. Uh, you, I ran across this illustration. You realize that in, your, in your, each of your cells, uh, you have DNA, and if you stretch the DNA out, like if you stretch it out rather than having it all twisted like it is, if you stretch it out, it would, go, it would go two meters. Okay, two meters. If you took all the cells in your body and stretched out all the DNA, it would, it would stretch out over the length of two solar systems. That's the amount of information in your body. I mean, and that's... We don't think of our bodies as huge, in a sense, right? But two solar systems of length? I mean, that's, that's longer than Voyager 1, who's, you know, like launched in 1977 and has been going a million miles a day. It's still, the, the Voyager even hasn't come to that yet, to that length. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. When we talk about the, the, the magnitude of the universe... It's way bigger than we can imagine. And in this universe, what we see here is that God rules over his creation. That's kind of the point here. As we think about what, what hope do we have for the future, we have hope because, first of all, God rules over creation. Job chapter 38, verse 6 says this, On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. The, what it's saying here is, at the beginning of creation, and but it, it, like different than Genesis 1 in the sense of just saying, the morning stars sang, there was like these vibrations, there was, there was, there was joy, and, but not just joy, but just like these this symphony of creation that happened when God created the world. But notice verse 6 again. It's assuming God did this. It's, it's, it's asking this. Who laid the foundation? Who gave purpose? In Isaiah chapter 40, we have another picture. It's, it says, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Just the idea that God stretches creation out like a tent to dwell in. In fact, the, the most modern current theories of 
how the universe started, has the idea of this inflation, this, this stretching out <laughs> of the universe. And here, it, it pictures that stretching out, and we look at it and say, well, is it 13.4 light years across, or is it 28 point, you know, whatever light years across? Or is it just like, God's like, no, this is just my, you know, me hanging my window dressing, <laughs> you know? And here in, in Revelation 4, it says, Behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. And this, Revelation 4 uh, is very similar to Daniel chapter 7, Ezekiel chapter 1, Isaiah chapter 6. And if you want more information or more appreciation for this throne room of God, I would encourage you to go there. But here's just one, which I think echoes what, is, what we're seeing here. We're seeing this vision, which Daniel saw, John seeing this vision, which Daniel saw in Daniel 7. He says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took a seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. Thrones were placed here, and we see these thrones in Revelation 4. He who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And so you, this jasper is, is, is a, a kind of an amalgamation of a stone. It's like the different crystals are in it. Carnelian is more of a red jewel, a sub, semi-precious jewel. And then there's a rainbow around. This is the prince, it's probably green shifted in some way. This clear, glorious throne. And the picture here is one who's seated on the throne who rules, who has beauty and who rules over beauty. But not only that, but you get the, these thrones around him. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. As you study out who are these 24 elders, you get, get an inside look at there's these two peoples of God, the Israel and the church, 24 tribes, 24, uh, 12 tribes, 12 apostles. In a sense, you get this, and you see this 24 picture all through Revelation where Israel and the church are united in ruling over God's creation with God. And Israel doesn't replace the church, or no, the church doesn't replace Israel. It's, it's, it's not just like, okay, it's just, or it's just all this one people of all time from Abraham on. No, what you see is these 24 thrones seated to show off God's multidimensional rule of his people. And, and these people are, again, kind of echoing Genesis 1, where we are made in the image of God to reflect his rule on the earth. And with these, with these elders who have golden crowns on their heads, it says, From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were seven, burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Again, a, a reference to the Holy Spirit like we talked about in Revelation chapter 1. And before the, the throne there was, as it were, a sea like, of glass like crystal. This is also referenced in Revelation 14. It's kind of like uh, there's something coming kind of foreshadowing of what that sea is supposed to do and represent. But what you see here is God on his throne. 
And as we think about the future and what, what is the story of God's world, what you don't see is you don't see a story of a king deposed, regaining his throne. You know what I mean? It's, this is not a story where, okay, God got ejected from his kingdom, he's no longer ruling on his throne, and he's trying to regain control of his kingdom. That's not the story here. He's sitting on his throne. He's not, he's not uh, worried about someone taking over his throne. He's not upset, like, oh, maybe, maybe I could lose my throne. No, he's just seated on his throne. He's ruling. And notice it a story of rebels overthrowing a king. Although, as we'll see later on in Revelation, there is creatures are de- definitely attempting to usurp God's throne. Nor is this a story of a hero helping the king regain his throne. Like, like in some way, we could help God regain his control of his universe. No, this is a God seated on his throne, ruling and reigning. He's not worried. He's not upset. He just rules and reigns. And we get a further picture of that as we see that God's holiness puts him above his creation. In verse, at the end of verse 6, it says, And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. Ezekiel 1 gives us a better picture here and says each of them actually has each of those faces on it. And each creature in that sense represents creation and represents all the different the major animals of creation, the ox, the man, a lion, an eagle. And with eyes surrounding each of their bodies. It pictures God's knowledge of his world, God's knowledge of his universe, that he created the universe. He knows all about it. He knows what's going on in it, and he doesn't fail to to see everything about what he reigns and rules over. And what do the four living creatures say? Each of them with six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They're crying out, holy, 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 echoing again Isaiah chapter 6. But before God's throne, these creatures who, who can see all of God's creation realize that God is not bound to his creation He's not tied to his creation like it's necessary for him to, for creation exist exist in order for him to exist. He's not tied to his creation. He's set apart from his creation. He's above his creation. The word we use in, in theological terms is he's transcendent. He's above it. You cannot go through this universe. I mean, sometimes we talk about God particles or different things, like different ways we try to find God in his universe, right? I think one of the Russian cosmonauts, right, when they went up into space, they're like, well, I don't see God up here. (laughs) You're not going to see God in his universe. Why? Because he's not tied to his universe. You can't go and find some particle or some energy beam or something and say, this is God. He's above it all. He's holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And that has several repercussions. It means that we are not in a position to manipulate or control the God of the universe. Again, this is why he rules and reigns. He's not upset 
that some people are trying to usurp his throne because he, he's above it all. He's, he, he can't be controlled by his creation. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 15 says, Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in darkness, and say, Who sees us? Who knows us? People go around thinking, No one knows what I've got this hidden plan. I've got this hidden idea, this hidden agenda. No one knows what I'm really trying to accomplish. God, in fact, can't even know. He says, You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay? That the thing made should say of its maker, he did not make me, or the theme formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding. Again, God is above his creation. He knows everything about us because he made us. And we cannot say to ourselves, like, I can hide something from God. That's to deny who God really is. Isaiah 45 says, Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open, let salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them to both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. It's you're saying, I can, I can create righteousness on the earth because I, I have the ability to create. I have this kind of power, right? The Bible presents God's creative power as creation ex nihilo, that is, from nothing. He doesn't need anything to create. He's not tied to his creation. He's not bound by his creation. He is above his creation. He goes on to say, Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or your work has no handles. Can you imagine if you're creating something, like a clay pot, is what he's saying here? And the pot speaks up for a second and says, Hey, you forgot the handles. <laughs> like, how do you know what I was creating? How do you know what I'm forming? I know what I'm doing. You, you have, don't say I don't have understanding. And that's the picture here. It's, it's, it, and the reason why they bring this up is because this is what we do, right? We look at our lives and we say, God, God you, you forgot something. <laughs> you know, you know that, that career path that I thought I had figured out, you, you, you forgot to put that in motion. You know? Or that relationship I thought you were going to kind of restore, that, that, doesn't, that hasn't happened yet. What, you forgot something here, God. Or God, God, I wish I had, you know, I, thought, I wish I was six feet two, you know, not 5'10", or whatever, right? We, 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 we say this about God. We, we say, God, why have you formed me this way? Isaiah ends the book this way, too. This is a theme throughout his book. But now, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Saying this is who God is. He's the potter. We're the clay. He's above his creation. He's molding it. He's, he's making it. Therefore, God is above us. You cannot manipulate God. You cannot make him like yourself. You cannot fully predict him. Just one example of this, God's creative power, right? In Romans chapter 9, he's talking about um, that Israel has rejected God, and God is going to use a, a creative act of himself to show Israel how wrong they were. And says, as he didn't, he says in Isaiah, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. This is a reference to the Jews versus the Gentiles, in a sense, and, and ultimately the church. And he's saying, look, I've called Israel my people. I've called Israel my beloved. They've been my people. I've cared for them out of Egypt into Israel. I've done all these things for them, and they've rejected me. He's like, I can... Those who were not my people before, I'm going to make them my people. 
And then the very place where it was said, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, says this is the church. The church is a people who weren't ever really a people. We come from all tribes and tongues and nationalities. Why? Because we're God's people and we were not a people before. He brought us together under the name of Christ, right? And so you can't fully predict what he's going to do. He's a creative God. You can't manipulate him. And this, is, this, this gives hope, honestly, okay? Why? Because do, do you really want a God who can be manipulated? Let's just, let's just draw this out for a second. What if you got a God who could be manipulated? Like, who, if you give, gave him great and amazing offerings, that he would, like, really be like, oh, well, then you get special favors, because in some ways that sounds attractive, right? Like, you know, if I could come up with this amazing thing I could do for God, then I could get you know, a lot of extra things that I want, right? Extra blessings. But suppose you did that. Let's say, let's say you, you did something for 10 years. You devoted to some amazing thing you were doing for God. And at the end of 10 years, like, you're like, God, here it is. And God's like, well, that's, that's, that's okay. But, uh, you know, I got somebody over here who did 30 years, so, you know. You know, you're kind of out of luck here, you know, because I, I got a better offering over here. I mean, you see the, the, the challenge of that, right? Like there's, there's always someone in that sense who could out-manipulate God on his behalf and not yours, especially if it's like your enemy. Like if your enemy, you, can't, you got like, God, here's my offering. And well, your enemy gave me 30 years, not 10. Like, uh, I think I'm going to be on his side. All of a sudden, I'm out, right? If, if it's based on me, if it's based on my ability to, to manipulate God, to say, God, I want this from you, I want this to happen on my behalf, and I'm going to do this in order to do, for you to do that. It's not some secret formula. It's not someone who has a better offering or even better possessions, the, the rich person who can give more to God. None of those matter to God at all. As the Bible puts it, right? He has the cattle on a thousand hills. Why would he care about yours? In the sense of, looking how great you are. And this means it's by grace. We come to God and we relate to God, not on the basis of who we are, because he's above creation. We come to him on the basis of who he is. This is grace. He's coming to us from his grace. And what this means in some ways is God doesn't need you. God doesn't need you. I'm not saying he doesn't want you, nor does he want to have you, and nor does he not love you, but he doesn't need you. It's not like you're like, okay, well, we've got to save the world, and we've got to set the United States right, and we've got to turn the history of the world around, and we've got to do all these good things. We've got to do all these right things. You know what? This revelation will clearly show that God doesn't need us to do any of those things. He's going to do it all on his own. <laughs> and therefore, if we come to God thinking, okay, God, uh, man, you need, I've, I've, got to, I've got to step up here. I've got to do these things. I've got to, no, it's, it's we relate to God out of grace. He doesn't need you to do anything, but he invites you into his rule and grace. And that's the point of these 24 thrones around his throne is because God's, he doesn't need them to help rule 
He doesn't need those four creatures to help him rule. He invites them into his rule to say, look, this is the, isn't it amazing? We get to rule and reign. We get to care for creation. We get to guide my kingdom. And therefore we have hope because he invites us into this rule even though he doesn't need us. We also have hope because it's a good rule. Notice God's creation deserves his praise. Verse 9 says, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Here are these 24 elders saying, it's not about us. You are an amazing God, and you created us, and you rule over us, and it's a good rule, and we're praising you for your good rule. Just for a second, consider some pictures, right? You like to travel, maybe? God created this with its fog and its hills and its valleys. He knows how to form the earth to create beauty. He created the birds in the sky and the sea. And he put the sun and he combines them all in beautiful ways. He did this out of nothing. <laughs> you know, most of us are like, um, at least for me, I'm like, uh, my wife crochets and I look at that and I'm like, I can't even touch that. My, my, my fingers just don't work well enough to crochet. I, I can't create like that. But God can make even more amazing things. Just, again, out of nothing. Or a butterfly feeding off a flower. I mean, I mean who thinks of these things, right? Like, like a, a, a God who can say, yeah, you know, I'm going to have this, this creature who can, who, who can barely amount to anything, but it can float through the air and control its flight. In fact, I'm going to create these other things that have beauty and, and amazing things, but I'm going to have one feed off the other, and it's going to be amazing. Like, they're going to, they're going to help each other live and survive and thrive. This is just one example of how God invites his creation into his rule. He's like, hey, enjoy my creation. See the beauty of it. Find the greatness of it and be satisfied with the goodness of it. This is your God. He's not concerned about the war in Ukraine or he's not concerned about the economy and how it's going to go. He, he knows everything from the beginning to the end. And he's not concerned with who's doing this or who's doing that or how, how my 401k is going to do. He can, he can care for us regardless of those things because he is he reigns. <laughs> Just consider the sea, right? Small fish that hide in coral. <laughs> I'm protected from bigger fish just because God wants them to be. This is, this is what these elders are falling down and they say, Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. They're saying, look, look at the amazing thing that you've created. 
One of the most astonishing discoveries astrophysicists have made in recent decades is that if gravity were just one trillionth of one percent stronger, our universe would have reversed course long ago. It would have collapsed catastrophically, ending in a big crunch instead of a big bang. Likewise, if gravity were just one trillionth of one percent weaker, our universe would have flown apart so rapidly that planets, stars, galaxies, all the basic constituencies of the universe would never have chance to be formed. We'd all be dust in the wind, as the song goes. Is it an accident that everything turned out so well, that gravity is not too strong or too weak by even one trillionth of one percent? Sir Fred Hoyle, the late University of Cambridge astronomer and an avowed atheist, didn't think so. After doing innumerable computations, Hoyle discovered that the odds of our being accidents of nature are comparable to the likelihood of a tornado sweeping through the junkyard and assembling from scrap metal a fully functioning Boeing 747. So small as to be negligible, he said, following his calculations, even if a tornado were to blow through enough junkyards to fill the entire universe. He's saying, if you had a tornado go through that, universe, go through that junkyard, one Google Times. <laughs> One arrives at the conclusion that biomaterials with their amazing measure or order must be the outcome of intelligent design. God made his universe. And the God who made that universe is also the one who gives us help. And it's repeated over and over in Scripture. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalm 121 our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And that's just two verses out of many that we can go to. God is a God who rules his earth. He made it. We are his. He owns us. He created us. And yet, he helps us. This vision in Revelation 4 is of God saying, I'm going to take and rule my world. I'm not going to let evil reign I'm going to reign. And that has certain implications. If God is good and God rules his world well, you may, you may dislike different things about God's creation. You may, in fact, dislike your own body. You might not like certain things about it. Your nose, your hair, your height, your length of foot. I don't know. We all have things we don't like about our bodies, right? But your body shouts of God's creative abilities. You have eyes and ears. You have hands and feet. And even if you don't have those, and some of us don't, yet we have a mind to praise the God who made us. And he made us specifically declare his body and to declare his praise with our bodies. Like no matter what, how he formed you, the height you are, the nationality you're from, the different experiences you have. He's made you in order for you to praise him, to say, look, look at the God who made me. Look at the God who formed me. Look at the God who has it's, it's done amazing things even in my own life. He makes us ultimately to go out into his world and do creative things to show off his good rule. That's why he put Adam and Eve in the garden and said, go, you know, make a garden of the entire world. That's why he, he, he created us. Why? Because he wants us to exemplify his rule to do creative things. We are not headed for the heat death of the universe. 
That is not the end to which God created his world. We're headed into further and further opportunities to show off God's creative power, honor, and glory. That's where we're headed. And it starts here in Revelation chapter 4. He's saying, you want to you worry about what's hap- going to happen in the future? You want to you you know what's going to happen? Well, it starts with this basic fundamental fact. God, the creator, reigns. He does not grow weary or faint, Isaiah 40 says. He is not worried about evil. He has a plan to to recreate his world. And what we're going to see at the end of Revelation is God and us in a new heavens and a new earth created by him. Showing off his rule. And so just what are some next steps we take from Revelation chapter 4? Just a few thoughts. First of all, you are a good part of God's creation You are a good part of God's creation. You may think, well, I'm not very good, or I make a lot of mistakes, or I... I..." God has an eternal plan for your life. Are you praising God for making you? Just some ideas about how to work on this, because very very ones of us struggle with this idea that we are a good part of God's creation. We, we think, oh, I'm, I'm a miserable failure. Just go into nature and see God's creative ability. You know, my wife and I like to run, and um, we hadn't been able to run much, so we ran yesterday morning, and we went up to south of Story City, and we ran along the Skunk River, you know, and the trees are starting to change. You know, it's not, not quite, you know, really beautiful yet, but it's starting. You know, running through the forest is an amazing thing. I mean, when I'm running through the forest, I'm just concerned with breathing. But when my wife is running through the forest, you know, she can look around, and she's like, I was looking around, it's amazing. I was like, I was just like glad I was standing next to you and running alongside of you, and you were going slow enough for me. That's what I was concerned about. But then I slowed down, let her run ahead, and it is, right, it's, it's to see the trees over your head. To notice the pastures. To see the flowers even in fall. God creates so many amazing things. Why do you, why do you think that he's failed with you? I think God can, if he can create this kind of amazing world, he's not going to fail with you. Just like, oh, yeah. The one trillionth person I just didn't get quite right. No. It's not the way it goes. And parents, you should take your children into nature. Get them out there. Marvel at God's creative world. Have them notice the small things. Have them notice the big things. Students, your biggest purpose is not to get smart, get a job, Produce for the civilization for 40 years and then retire. You're not supposed to just get skills in order to get a job and then be able to make money and then retire at some point. Your purpose 
if this is God's world and he's the creator, is to show off God's creative power and glory. So get skills, learn things, but then use them in creative ways to bless people, to encourage people, to help people. This is why God has made this world, so that we can enjoy his creativity and show off parts of it. All of us have areas where we're not that creative, but all of us have areas where we are creative, and God's put us on this earth to use that. Are you doing that, and are you showing off his greatness by doing so? Second question you could ask yourself, are you honoring the one who made you by obeying him? If God rules, then we need to obey him. He knows the best plan for our lives. He, he's, he's so powerful and he's so good that we should look to him and say, God, what do you want me to do? But too often we do the opposite, right? We say, God, I'll, I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. And this is why we come to church, right? Not just to marvel at God's creative power, but also say, God, we want to learn from you. We want to follow you. We want to obey you. This is why we have adult Bible fellowships, which we have after the service, and why we have community groups on Sunday nights primarily, is because we want to get together and we want to follow God's two greatest commandments, to love God and to love others. And we discipline ourselves to do those things, not because if I don't do those things, God's going to punish me, Although, and we, we, will, we will see the why that's true in Revelation chapter 5. But we discipline ourselves to do this because we want to experience his creative power in our lives. We want to see his goodness in our lives. So are you honoring the one who made you by obeying him? By saying, where's my heart at? Do I love the God who made me? And the last thought I have is, you don't need to do anything for God. But are you using the power he's giving you to do good? You don't need to do anything for God, but are you using the power he's giving you to do good? You say, well, how do I put that together? I don't need to do anything, but I'm supposed to do something. And the answer to that is prayer. Okay? You start with prayer. God, God, I need your wisdom. I need your guidance. I need your help. God, I, I don't know what to do. And I know you don't need me to do anything, but I, I'd like to do something to show off your good rule in the world Maybe you're trying to help someone. Start with prayer. Maybe you're trying to accomplish something. Start with prayer. Maybe you're trying to, to you're not sure what to do. Again, start with prayer. Come before the God of the universe who rules over the universe, who's infinitely creative, and say, God, I need help. <laughs> and he's like, awesome, let's talk, you know? Why? Because God, the creator, reigns. I know I, I, if, you, if you're in tune with the world at all, I know this is what you hear, you know, like, we're headed to nuclear war because of Ukraine and Russia, we're, we're, our economy's going to be trashed, or if we don't win, whoever we is, uh, don't win this next election, we're, we're headed for doomsday, right? That's not true. Those are all lies. God, the creator, reigns. And because he reigns, we have hope for the future. And God is going to tell us, as we go through Revelation, what he's going to do. But it starts here, that he made us. He made this universe, and he reigns over it. And he's not giving up that reign to anyone else because he knows he's the best one to care for us. And he loves us enough because he made us 
to care for us. So will you trust his care for your life? Will you go to him in prayer? Will you seek to do good? Will you marvel at God's creative abilities? Will you show that to others? Heavenly Father, we thank you for God, yourself, that you reign, that you're not worried about evil, but in your good plan, you are going to show, you're going to make evil show how good you are. And so we come to you. You're seated on the throne, high and lifted up. But you have invited us to come through Jesus Christ into your presence and ask you for things. So we ask for wisdom. We ask for understanding. We live in a world full of lies that's constantly lying about the future and how it's going to go. So help us to come to you. Help us to see you. Help us to understand you, to follow you, to rest in who you are. We thank you that you are the God who created us and who reigns over us. Thank you for being a good God in your son's name. Amen.